Welcome to another episode of your Wild and Exposed podcast. Before we begin today's show, we have an exciting announcement from our sponsor, Precision Camera in Austin, Texas, the largest camera store between New York and L.A. Precision Camera is offering Wild and Exposed listeners a free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images with free shipping as well within the United States. To get this, go to our website at wildandexposed.com. On our homepage, go to the menu at the top right and go to our sponsors page. There, you'll find a quick link to Precision Camera. And once you're on their page, go to the option for a virtual consultation with one of their friendly and knowledgeable staff that'll be more than happy to discuss and answer any questions that you might have for gear that you're interested in. At the conclusion of your visit, they'll give you a coupon code that will give you access to order this free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images. By supporting Precision Camera, you're also supporting your favorite podcast, Wild and Exposed. Now, on with today's show. Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. You've got myself, Ron Hayes, Mark Raycroft, Jason Loftus coming to you this week. And we are going to do a little bit of catch up. We've had some time to get out in the field. We've had snowmageddon. We haven't had time to get out in the field in Canada, apparently. But we'll let Mark talk about that. I'll just um, listen in on your adventures. <laughs> well, we did get out a little bit, and I've seen a lot of information coming out. I'm I'm excited. It's almost time for the bears to pop out. Uh, there may be a few starting to show up here very soon, so I'm I'm excited to hear the news and kind of watch the progress of that. The grouse started strutting, and then all of a sudden, we got two feet of snow in places. Some places got three, and a few places even got five, four feet and above. Not quite five feet. So it's it's been a good wet spring, which we very much needed because the adventure that Jason and I were able to get out on that we'll talk about here in a little bit, as I was driving back, it almost looked like a dust bowl uh, in places. There was like dust storms blowing across the highway, and it was a little bit disheartening, to be honest. But we're not going to see any of that for <laughs> probably a couple months or better because it is nice and wet now. How are you guys doing? Mark, how is Canada? Oh, it's fine. Things are fine. It's, it's spring arrived this week. All our snow is gone, except in the forest where it's sheltered or shaded from the sun. So that's welcome. The temperatures are all above freezing for the most part for daytime highs. The birds are coming back. That's, oh, I don't know. The older I get, the more exciting it is each year to see the various songbird species coming back and you hear the call, you see them. That's been fun. Um, 
it's you know the past year outdoor activity has been so popular gear is something in short supply for a lot of adventure stuff so i've been prepping for this later this spring's interior canoeing and and photography and camping trips so i picked up uh, a new canoe it's the first well actually i bought a canoe probably 15 years ago for 300 dollars from a neighbor that's a tank you know if it was at your cottage or something and you had to push it four feet to shore no problem but no good for portaging or interior wilderness trips so I stepped up and bought um, a Kevlar Fusion canoe that weighs 38 pounds, so it's pretty sweet for the idea of portaging. And as much as it might seem on uh, my social media feeds, especially the Adventure Algonquin one, that I love canoeing, I actually don't. I never thought I'd buy this caliber of a canoe, but it, it gets me out there, and I love so much about the experience, you know, uh, in the wilderness, the camping, the the campfires back on the remote lake and the loons the stars everything that happens once back there the actual canoe trip it, it's a good workout at this at this stage of life and and i like pushing keeping the keep pushing my boundaries and so it's been it's fun for that but I, yeah the past few weeks have been gearing up i got a new food barrel uh, not necessarily bear proof but close to it and we of course we hang that between two trees in the interior when we're camping but it's a backpack so everything fits in that and on the back comfortable waist support straps all that kind of stuff and uh, freeze-dried meals to prep for these adventures so that's what i've been doing as springs come along because actually when i went to get the canoe i phoned the company and i was um, talking with sean sean james from my self-reliance and planning this out saying hey sean what would you recommend and i know he's dialed in so he recommended a canoe I called the company and they said, absolutely, they'd be happy to have one ready for me by the end of July. <laughs> that's, that's how much of demand, you know, whether it's bicycles, mountain bikes, anything outdoorsy, it's in short supply. But a friend of mine found this one canoe at a store in Ottawa. So I, I actually bought it online and picked it up uh, 10 days after that. So that's kind of been what's going on, but spring's spring's coming along quickly. I've yeah, I've been watching the internet, see what's going on for you guys. It's, I cringe. Yeah. Well, it is. It's it's springtime in in the mountains, right, or in the north. You, that's when we get the vast majority of our moisture through the year, is in the spring. So we welcome it, but it does shut things down for a little while. There's a Supposedly, there's a, a nine-foot drift on the interstate, and they sent all of the uh, all the rotary plows, like the big snow blowers. They sent them all south because they were projected to get much more snow than we are, and so they didn't have any rotary plows. So they're trying to clear this big nine-foot drift with uh, front-end loaders, and it's taking some time. So the interstate, they don't, you know, in the U.S., the interstate is that's the crossroads, right? That's how you get products from A to B. For the most part, there's a railroad, but the interstate is where most products are shipped. And they rarely shut it down for 12 hours. They try to get it open as quickly as they can, and it's been shut down for almost three days now. Wow. So it's, it was a significant storm. It's, you know, I haven't seen one like this since I was a kid, and we, we had... You know, you'd have three feet of snow, but you had to get out there to feed 
on the ranch and the farm you had to be, you had to get to the animals so we would always bust out the 1971 snowmobiles and get after it which <laughs> I did not purchase by the way that's they're about the same age as me but I wasn't old enough to buy one at that time how about you Jason could we sorry Jason I just quickly I mean, can, we, can we say that on our podcast the same age as you do you do the math what just happened Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. well, I just, since our last podcast, just turned half a century since the last right podcast, on. since we were all together last. And I'm not super excited about it, but it's, it's <laughs> but not it the is. agony that I anticipated it being when I was younger. Oh, it's a new 40. That's what you tell yourself when you hit 50. You just sure. say that over and over for a day or so. People can say that all they want, but it still feels like 50. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday. Yeah, thanks. Jason, yeah. how's Utah? Uh, it's 65 degrees and <laughs> partly cloudy and mostly sunny, depending on the day. And spring feels like it's here. And, you know, we just keep getting missed by these storms, which is kind of crazy. You know, we thought, I mean, usually when Colorado and Wyoming get hit, Utah gets hit too. But for whatever reason, we've we've missed it. So. Um, the southern part of the state got some of it, but not much. Um, but yeah, it's actually feels like spring here. Um, you know, when the time changes, it's usually a pretty, it's kind of an indicator for most of us, right? That it's springs in the air and temps are changing. And, um, but yeah, just, uh, it's really nice here. And I've been getting out and trying to enjoy that and take advantage of that, uh, chasing some waterfowl photography with my buddy Harlan. Um, you know, we can talk more about that maybe, but, uh, just one of the, one of the most difficult things I've, uh, chased, um, in quite a while. It's been, it's been fun. It's been very, very challenging and, and a lot of time and effort put into it to try to get a couple of shots that might be usable. And, uh, but it's been a fun process. So learned a ton for sure. Yeah. One of the, the barometers of spring for me is when I hear my first medlark. <laughs> And that yep. has not happened. I mean, it's it's either been the winds blowing 50, 60, 70 miles an hour, or it's been snowing like crazy for long yeah. enough that I haven't heard one yet. So I've got to, you know, hopefully, I hate the wind, but when a storm like this happens and it warms up quick and all that snow goes away, if the wind isn't blowing, it's going to be a month before we can get back out in the field because the roads will be so so muddy but um so i do kind of hope for some wind and we do have warm temperatures i was um trying to get the forecast on the crane migration in nebraska the sandhill crane migration because one of my goals this year was to to get some hooping cranes on video and they said that you know with all this moisture they've already had to release enough water in wyoming that the sandbars are covered up and if you've ever seen the crane migration the sandbars are where the cranes roost overnight so when there's no sandbars then of course they're uh, more susceptible to predation because they've got to roost out in the fields and they just don't stay around as long they tend to head north a little earlier and with this storm we're obviously not going to be able to maintain our reservoirs at max capacity with all the moisture that's going to come from this um, because the headwaters got almost 60 inches of snow 
and then everywhere downstream from there got at least two feet so it's it's going to be a lot of water coming our way pretty quickly so we'll see this this spring will be an interesting one but the gross aren't too happy especially those males waited all year to get on their legs and start going and now what i know now they were going already blanket blanketed with snow everything put on hard cold pause <laughs> well nothing puts yeah. it on pause like cold right <laughs> yeah cold shower all right so mark what have you been up to besides just prepping have you gotten I'm out at all because i called you uh -oh. and caught you out in the woods was that just oh, a walk yeah. or did you take your camera for a walk no that was just a walk the only camera with me was my phone on that i try to get it in the woods every day for a walk if i'm here editing just mm -hmm. just to hear things see things and move you know you only spend so long at a computer and have your eyes focus on a different distance other than two feet in front of you or me so i was just out for a walk i haven't i've been so busy editing and writing and marketing it's that time of year and it, you know when the snow melts as well it, there are things definitely always worth photographing but for my genre my my subjects it's a really bland time of year and so it's, it's not one that finds me in the field this is when i do a lot of my office work and so that by late spring through fall i have more freedom so it it's yeah, I've been at the computer. We did take off a day last week and went for a drive to look for saw-wet owls. And I did take my camera for a walk that day. And that's all it got was a walk. We walked past <laughs> 2,000 cedar trees with about a foot of snow at that time. And we just went down along the lakeshore where the land sticks out into the lake further, where migratory birds hang up. We saw a lot of waterfowl. It's been a phenomenal year for waterfowl and owls in Ontario for and social media is just covered with it. It was a great year, not for great grays as much. I think there were a few around. There were a ton of snowies, uh, as per usual, more uh, short-eared owls than you can count, uh, lots of eagles, but the waterfowl migration's in full swing right now. The ice has just gone out along shorelines, especially. And so it, it's, I see a lot of fantastic work of people right now from that, but for my markets, like you say, Jason, I mean, I, it's tricky and you got to do it. You have to do it right. And I just don't have time right now as much fun as it would be. I certainly enjoy seeing everybody's pictures of the waterfowl and, and the owls and the raptors. And, but, and so it's, the saw wet, they're just so freaking cute. Right. So to find them. So Pilly and I spent an afternoon walking and hoping to find them and they're, they're all around. I mean, people don't smartly, they don't post the specific location, but they're they're out there one of these times but yeah that's the only the only wildlife outing i've done uh, recently jason that's yeah, a good segue I've... into yours sorry go ahead no i was just interesting on the saw wet. i think uh, maybe we're just chatting about it a little bit but i think i've seen and heard recently and i don't follow the owls super close like a lot of folks do um i enjoy photographing them when i get an opportunity i love it um but i think a lot of folks are still starting to not post even like on iBird and stuff like that locations for owls specifically because of all the attention they've been getting lately and 
I know they had some issues, challenges up in Yellowstone and Tetons last year with some of that. And, you know, just just the critters getting a lot of pressure from all the photographers and the interest there. But, um, but yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that, that a lot of folks are not posting those mm-hmm. locations. So unless you know somebody, you know, you're probably not going to let Eric, you find them on your own either way, then you're not going to probably have much luck. But there are hot spots. But yeah, I, for the past few years, I, I people, I, discourage it posting and but yeah i there are places to that are pretty well renowned to go um i just don't have the time i mean we have nesting barred and great horned on our property the great horned i they've been in the same tree the past two or three years but it's quite a ways up and i just i don't bother i love hearing them some nights are right by the house but it's again i just don't there's only only so many things that i can I mean, yes and no, but market as far as photography, and it's a, it's a different subject. It's still wildlife, it's still nature, but um, and it's fun to do, no doubt. It's, it's just a time time thing. Yeah, no, I understand for sure. It's super popular owls. People love owls. You know, yeah. clearly. Yeah. Yeah. No. So to answer your question, Ron, yeah, just to get into a little bit more of maybe the waterfowl stuff I've been doing, and Mark hit the nail on the head, and this is something you know I've done some waterfowl. I love waterfowl. If you follow my page, you've seen some of my waterfowl. But most of the time, I'm getting single ducks here and there, you know, maybe pairs, some geese. And it's mainly mallards and wood ducks. So I've really been wanting the last couple of years to broaden my um, portfolio with my waterfowl and to trying to get into some, um, you know, pintails, you know, gadwalls, teal. Uh, you know, redheads, uh, just on canvas backs, on and on, scop, just to broaden the whole um, the whole portfolio. But it, so we do have a lot of those birds that come through here, and they come back through the springtime, obviously on the migration back north. And I just really like the idea of trying to capture some uh, courtship flights. And that's something that I've messed with a little bit last year, but didn't had some success with just some blue sky type images, if you will. But I really have these this vision in my head of what a really good waterfowl image looks like of courtship light, and I've seen some out there. But as it's interesting, and I, Harlan and I were talking, we got looking through some of the photographers that we follow, some of the really good waterfowl guys that are out there, and you know, to be quite honest, there's not a lot of guys that have you know a, a you know a broad variety of courtship flight type images. So. The, and I've had a couple of guys that were nice enough to reach out to me actually and talk to me a little bit about that as I was stressed or portraying my frustrations in some of my posting and that. But so at least I was feeling better about the fact that I maybe I'm not as dumb as I thought I was and that this really is as hard as I think it is. And <laughs> but but yeah, you know, just lots of days in the field and you got to be there before light you know you, you can't push birds off you got to try to avoid that as much as possible because they get wary you know they've been shot at for the last three four months all throughout the whole country on their migration path and now they're heading home and they're still you know stressed out and that from that kind of stuff and they're wary anyways so just you know getting the hide right getting the background proper getting a good location that the light works well and you get some good backdrops and good background other than just blue sky. Um, all that, and then to have the weather work, the light come together, the the uh, wind not be too dramatic. All these factors have to come together and just, you know, and I, to be quite honest, of the, well, Harlan's put in probably, no joke, close to 15 days 
doing this over the last month or so. And I've been fortunate to get out with him for probably six or seven of those days. So those many days of committed time and effort to, and I think we both feel like we walked away with maybe, you know, two or three images that were, you know, might be workable and, and did not get the image that we had in our heads. Right. So, so more work to do. We're going to still stick at it. We've got a little bit more time here. The birds will be coming through, I think for the next week or two um, before it's over. Um, so yeah, looking forward to doing more of that, but, but I'll tell you, <laughs> like you mentioned too, Mark, you, anytime you go on a shoot, right? Everybody can relate to this. I think you, you go out and you, you, you're in a situation and you go, wow, that didn't work as well as I thought. And this gear might make this a little better if I had this gear. And then it goes down this rabbit hole where you start to buy this different gear and you start to, you know, well, maybe I need this, maybe I need that. So it's not just the getting out in the field. It's the, you know, gear acquisition and trying to make it as easy as possible and as comfortable as possible while you're out there trying to do some of these things. So, yeah, anyways, that's what I've been up to. I was talking to Ray Hennessy, and who's a primarily a bird photographer on the East Coast. We've had him. He does a wildlife photo chat. We've had him on the show. I'll probably have him on the show again. I was just a, a guest on his podcast, which will come out in late March. Uh, but Ray was talking about, you know, going after waterfowl versus, you know, like warblers and songbirds and that kind of thing and talking about just how difficult it is because you can be completely concealed, but just that little tiny bit of movement and all of a sudden it might not push them off, but it'll push them away from the bank far enough that they're out of range for, for the camera or for the lens. So waterfowl is is no joke and he was talking about how many times he's gone out with one species in mind and then had to audible go to another species because the one that he you know had scouted out for the last week and a half two weeks just wasn't cooperative or didn't show up for whatever yeah. reason so it yeah. is you it know it is difficult yeah yeah and, and you just made me think of something sorry ron but to to add to the the variables there so here in utah it, you know, we have quite a bit of marshland out there because of the Great Salt Lake, and that's why it's such a great stopover point. But there's probably five or six different refuges up here in the in the north area where the birds like to congregate. So you literally, you know, go out and do some scouting and say, oh, yep, there's a bunch of pintails and teal in it X location. And you go, okay, cool, I'm going to go check it out. So you, you get your stuff, you go out the next morning, well, the birds have moved. They're not there anymore. And, I mean, it, it's... <laughs> I, I'm laughing and I'm you know, showing some of my frustration, I think, but it's just, I'll tell you, boy, just as soon as you think you got to figure it out to your, you know, to like, to Ray's point, you just, they just throw an audible, you know, you have to throw an audible and try something different and go, well, we're here. There are some birds here. Let's see what we can, you know, pull out of the day. But, you know, now it's like, we need to get out of here at a certain time and go scout out for tomorrow because today didn't work out. Now where'd they go and how much time and energy and gas are you going to put into finding them and, it's yeah it's tough so yeah <laughs> ray i feel your pain <laughs> <laughs> so How we did find... get out though go ahead mark before oh, we I get into that jason about uh how he's liking and again this isn't necessarily a canon or an r5 promotion i'm holding my breath on the new nikon rumor trail uh myself but shooting mirrorless on those and the, and the autofocus tracking. Are you loving that or how's it, how's it working? 
So, you know, interestingly enough, it's a great question. I've actually been using my Nikon, my D850 and my 500 with a 1.4 on it because I really do need the reach. Um, but I, uh, with the Canon, I really, I mean, I would use the 1 to 500. I, I have used it for waterfowl and it's worked great. The tracking's amazing. Um, but I just don't have a good prime yet, right? And I'm kind of holding my breath and waiting to see what happens and who's going to, you know, not come out on top of which way I'm going to go with it's going to be Canon or Sony more than likely. Um, but right now I'm leaning towards Canon, but I just want to see what, if I buy a new prime, it's going to be the new RF mount. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but to your point, yeah, I didn't use it much just because I needed the reach. And so, you know, that one four with the 500 gives me 700 millimeters, which is kind of nice to have with these, with these birds, the way they've been. So. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. But yes, Ron, we did get out. We actually got out together, which was kind of fun. Which hasn't, yeah, it's been, it's been a while. I mean, we got out in the Elkwoods, but it wasn't necessarily together. We were just in the same areas. Uh, but this trip went out specifically to get out to Yellowstone on your invitation or your extended invitation to me through some friends of yours and turned out to be a pretty fair mm -hmm. little trip yeah it has yeah. already paid for itself if i'm being nice honest. so nice yeah there's nothing wrong with that but we went to uh, west yellowstone montana jumped on a snow coach from there for a couple days and then uh went north but went north into northern yellowstone where you can drive in and uh, had a really good day there. You went on. I believe we can talk about that too, but what a trip. Yeah, yeah. I thought those coaches were well worth the money we spent and the energy and time we put into them and ended up having some pretty incredible encounters, which we've, you know, I think a lot of folks have seen and heard about some of them, like with the Pine Martin and the Squirrel and some of those just once-in-a-lifetime type encounters that you'd probably never – Matter of fact, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I'm trying to remember his name. It's gonna. It's making me mad that I'm not remembering his name right now. But one of the folks that I've been, you know, friends with on Instagram for a long time, and he's a guide. He's a guide up there on snowmobiles. He's been he's been guiding in that park out of West Yellowstone for 18 years, and he's never seen anything like that. You know, daily trips throughout the winter, and never has you know encountered something like that. So he was making the point about how special that was and how cool it was mm -hmm. to see. You know, right there, point blank range, right off the side of the road, you know, just for 40 minutes, just went on and on and on. Um, at some point, I think we all were just stopped photographing and videoing and just kind of watched because we'd gotten a lot of, <laughs> a lot well, of photos and video. It turned but... <laughs> into half the crowd cheering for the Martin and half the crowd cheering for the squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> it did too, yeah. There was quite a crowd gathered for sure. <laughs> But yeah, that was a fun trip. I really, it was well worth the time and energy we spent. And right off um, the road, and there was uh, snow machines. That everybody was traveling back in. Had to be out of the park by a certain time. And was traveling back in when somebody spotted this. We didn't spot it. They had already had it identified when we showed up. And I don't know how long it was going on before we got there, but it sounds like the entire thing was probably about an hour. Uh, we were only there for, what, half of that, roughly? Probably, yeah. But yeah, 
it, it was amazing. I, I've never, I mean, you always look for predator prey relationships and behaviors and, um, I've never seen one on that small a scale like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was just. To have that tree. time. What's that Mark? So to have the time to collect all the images you want and then the video. So our it listeners, I mean, happens. there'll be links yeah. in the show notes, but they're already up on Instagram. Uh, you can see a photo on the wild and exposed feed on Instagram. And then Jason, I think you, was it a post or a story? I think it was a post that you put up a video. Uh, put and up, uh, photos. I was it a like series it. of photos? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I enjoyed them so much. I flipped through, looked like a video. Okay. <laughs> but there's but there's the one. It's like, I mean, it's almost like they're playing. It's like the squirrel, not really stressed. But it's so close to the, its, its the end. The squirrel wasn't no, stressed, stressed at all. That thing knew exactly what right? it was. It was just going to wear him out. <laughs> <laughs> to, to witness that in a couple of the images, there's one where I think the pine martin had its paw in, right, like right at the squirrel's tail or something, like almost contact. Yeah. Oh yeah, there was there was a couple times Several where that times, he, yeah. that martin got real close, and you, but it was in crazy. To your point, like that squirrel, it, he was just like I got I got all day, and I got way more energy, <laughs> and you're too slow, and I'm gonna you're not gonna win this, and. To just to speak to it a little bit, it was hilarious because the Martin kept falling out of the tree into the snow after he'd get tired. And he'd sit down there at the base of the tree and rest. And then he'd hurry back up the tree and the squirrel would just be waiting for him like, okay, let's go. And that squirrel was always a, a move ahead of him, a second ahead of him. And just that Martin was trying to, you know, trick him to go in one direction and cutting back the other way. And that squirrel was on top of it. And finally the Martin gave up and that squirrel i'm not joking i posted a photo but you should i mean it was just like he was proud as punch and was like that's you know that's right you just go ahead and go away (laughs) chattered and sat there and posed like yep this is my tree you know (laughs) and i was the downside of going on a snow coach is you don't have room for everything and one of the things that i left behind after the first day was my video tripod because it just took up so much space and that encounter it, it broke my heart i there was a snow machine group or tour that was parked there and I talked one couple into allowing me to uh, use their snow machine for a rest and I got some video with with the R5 you know some 4k video with the two to four and it it turned out pretty good but there's you know as still as you think you're being that's why you've got to be on a tripod because with a long lens every little bit of movement is going to be exacerbated and you're going to see you know all the impact from that movement and even though it wasn't much and i thought i was had a dead still rest i still was moving just a little bit so it's you know it's usable for an instagram story and it's good for an instagram story that kind of thing or a a reel when i'm able to i still cannot get the new instagram app my phone won't it won't upload it so i can't do reels yet so i'm working on getting a new phone that's going to have to be the solution unfortunately but uh, you know the the images that you got and you would just if it wasn't for the r5 i will say i'm i'm now sold on the autofocus on the r5 because it would pick them up as soon as they came around the tree it was locked and if it wasn't for that, I don't know how many of those images I would have gotten. 
but I did cheat a little bit. I just increased my depth of field and, and basically focused on the front of the tree, knowing that I was at least going to get them as they're, as they're circling, coming around the tree. But it actually turned out that that camera picked up the movement pretty good. Oh. But it, it it's something that I probably won't ever see again in my lifetime. I mean, you know, like you said, Jason, there's a guy that's been doing that for 18 years and he's been in an area that's got them. Um, and never seen it. I, yeah. I probably will never see it again. And, and just to have that memory is. <laughs> yeah. Such a unique good experience. Light. Yeah. Nice uh, well, it was, it was overcast. It looks nice. But yeah. it was, it was even it was light for sure. Yeah. It wasn't like you were dealing with shadows and, and highlights, uh, that, that cloud cover actually made it doable because it didn't matter which side of the tree they were on. They were evenly lit. So, you know, as far as that goes, that was, that was a positive, but it was a little bit dark. You had to kind of run your ISO up just a hair. I think I was at about 640 for most of that. I was still able to be at a thousandth of a second, which is fine. Those cameras yeah. handle 640, no problem. I think actually the D850, I think native ISO is 640. So it's, it's great image quality at that ISO. Mine's at 800 most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no reason to shy away from handheld. Yeah. I, that's yeah. great. And you already squeezed in a pro tip, focusing on the tree, increasing your depth of field. If you had the light, yep. just got one in there already. Save that. Cause Mike's not here <laughs> today. Mike is on assignment by the way, which is why he's not with us. Um, and I couldn't buy a pro tip from him. So, I should have saved that one. <laughs> we'll let you count it. But earlier, I mean, that was our second day. So, yeah, the first day we had a Pine Martin encounter too, which is, again, these, these critters are around. They're not like they're unusual. They're they're plentiful. They're out there. But they're generally pretty shy, and they don't generally, you know, stick around long. And both of our well, encounters with these Pine Martins. <laughs> yeah, right. And they're fast. And both, Oh, yeah, so they go up a tree and they're like, see you later. What yeah. do you do? Well, usually, but the first encounter we had, he sat and gave us pose after pose and just went from branch to the location to different location. And it, we were all just like, we were, you know, that, that made the whole trip worth it right there. Right. We, we had a pretty good first day too. And, um, the second day, just that topped it off with that encounter. We had some really neat bison encounters along the river with some good frosty bison. And, um, and then, and then that was the second day. And then the third day, we kind of made an audible back to the point of, you know, making a decision as a group. And we jumped in vehicles. And Before we do that, though, okay. I give a Go shout ahead. out to Terry Hansen for sacrificing himself so that everybody else could get images of Pine <laughs> Martin. Right. On the first day, yeah, that's right. First day. <laughs> we want to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> really embarrassing. Oh. <laughs> Terry, we had been told where this Pine Martin was. So Terry was kind of walking down this trail toward that area and just lost his feet, took a digger. And as soon as he went down, Pine Martin popped out right behind this tree. <laughs> and I'm sitting there shooting. Terry's still laying over there. Yeah, yeah let me back up for a second. Hang on. <laughs> You're missing a key part here. So Terry had ate it pretty – and as soon as Terry fell – it spooked the Martin, you know, made him go, what was that? And he came out of the tree and Ron 
without missing a beat was on his knee and blaring away. <laughs> and poor Terry's over there rolling around in the snow, can't get up. <laughs> hey, I will say that I had an incident where I was rolling around in the snow and couldn't get up either. And That's true. The first time, nobody helped. The second time, Jason filmed me for a little while, and then he helped. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't help but film you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, Terry did take a digger, and I had no sense of chivalry. I was there well, to get images. There was two or three of us that were still on the bus when this all went down, because yeah. we were thinking, yeah, they're not going to see the Martin. So we saw this all go down, and we obviously were bailing off the bus trying to get but still get out there and get active, to be but... fair everybody's comment was we saw you shooting that's why we got out didn't get out because terry fell got that's out because fair. i was shooting that's fair <laughs> <laughs> and of course nobody yelled back and said hey we got the martin here guys they just you know started shooting so yeah well <laughs> get off your butt and get off the bus that's right <laughs> Uh, no, that was that was a pretty awesome, awesome couple days, honestly, in the park, you know. It was good, yep. Yeah. Day three, however. Well, day one, I yeah. can't complain about because I got the series of shots that that have paid for, paid the, for trip. the trip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but day three, I've never seen anything like it in the park. And I've, I've gone there in the winter, I don't know how many times. Um, but I've never seen anything like that. And, and we didn't have any wolves real close. And tune in next week for part two of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> we didn't have any wolves real close, but by my count, I think we saw a total of 31. That oh, as far as how many we saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a, a pack of 27 that was way up on a ridge. Had a bison, three bison surrounded. But as I was watching that, I videoed them. I don't even know why it was so far up there. But when I was watching the video, they were, you know, again, you're dealing with probably two miles plus of distance. Um, But the wolves were all in through the bison, around the bison. The bison didn't seem to be bothered at all or concerned at all. And the wolves, there were some of them bedded down on the ridge, and then there were some of them right there by the bison, just kind of waiting for a reaction, it looked like. But the bison kind of had a little bald knob, and they weren't going to move off of it and get in the deep snow. They were, you know, they were comfortable on that bald knob, and they had feed, and no reason to move, give those wolves an opportunity. I don't know how that situation played out. If the wolves waited them out, I'm sure they got the opportunity later, but... Uh, while we were there, nothing happened. But it, it was just neat to see the the packs have grown so much. You know, typically they'll be in the teens. And there was uh, the Junction Pack, which is the one that we saw, had 27 wolves in it. And then the Wapiti Pack, they said, was what, in the 30s? It was 30-something because they've been hunting bison and they need more bodies to be able to be successful hunting bison. Hmm. So the and we didn't see the whole Wapiti Packer. I I didn't for sure. I know Jason you stayed, but we only saw two 
Yeah. And it was right away, first thing in the morning, we saw wolves coming into the park. Yeah. And then uh, we stopped. There was a coyote uh, down below the road, and we stopped to see if we could get anything done with that. And there was, at first, I thought it was, I thought it was a wolf howled and then all these coyotes sounded off so i thought well maybe it's just a coyote but then i had several other people tell us later that it was definitely wolves that sounded off first there was two of them and then i don't know i don't know how many coyotes coyotes always sound like it's more because they're yippy and their you know their voices go up and down high and low and and so it sounds like there's more of them than there actually is but it you know, it sounded like there's four or five coyotes in the area. And I think by the end of the day, we at least saw three that you could identify. So there may three. have been more up there. Three coyotes? in Just in that area. Oh, where the two were on the ridge. Yeah. Two yeah, on yeah. the ridge, one down below. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and there could have been more, like we said. But um that area turned out to be pretty fruitful because those wolves came down there again in the afternoon. But we, you know, we had kind of taken a drive through all the way through the park, almost all the way. Um, got some bison stuff and looking at the images that the people who were not driving got, they got some pretty <laughs> crazy, pretty crazy bison images. You know, next to the I, I feel your pain, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jason and I were driving, and those images weren't, weren't there to be had from the driver's seat, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but they did they did do... We did get some pretty cool encounters. Uh, that whole day was pretty fruitful, I thought. You know? Yeah. It, it, usually when you go to the park, and I think we've talked about this before, but in my experience, even in a winter trip... You like to do two or three days on a coach because you may have a day or two where you just don't even shoot a photo. It's just part of the, the deal. Um, and so for us to hit it where we had two good days in the park on the coach was already just a win. And then to go to the north end, when I go to the north end, I generally like to spend three, four, or five days if I can in the winter because, again, you're going to have days where you just don't see much. And to have a great day like that on that third day, it just usually it just doesn't come together like that. So. I feel like we were pretty fortunate overall and just, you know, we kept trying to stress to the folks that were with us how incredible this was and how fortunate we were to have the, you know, don't, don't come back to Yellowstone and expect, <laughs> expect this every time you come, because if you do, yeah. you're going to be sorely disappointed, but, but it was worth it for sure. I did have the lucky charm there, Mark. Which one is that, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> so trying to get some flashbacks here the first day we uh i don't it, it got kind of slow and so i said all right it's time to change coats you know like That's put right. the rally cap on and so i change coats and all of a sudden we start having encounters again we run into these this pair of coyotes and had great shoot with them this bull bison large you know mature bull bison um, great shoot with him again. So in the second day, things are slow. So, well, it's time to change the coat. And I started with the other coat on that ended up being the lucky coat the first day. But then as soon as I changed the coat, boom, by like 10 minutes later, we run into the Pine Martin. And then uh, we were in 
the north end. And we had seen some coyotes. We had seen wolves way off in the distance. Um, we didn't really have any good shoots. And then we did get into some bison on the way back. Stopped to have lunch. And I said, you know, I'm just, I'm going to change coats. <laughs> and we change coats, come back. And there's two wolves bedded right on top of this ridge. And we spent the remainder of the day with them. And we ended up getting um, video of breeding wolves. Um, some good interactions. They were, again, a little bit too far to get tremendous images. But we had great interactions with them. Some good behavior stuff. But yeah, the coat did it. So, no, it's not the coat. It's the changing of the coat. It's the yeah, changing of your is. clothes that did it. So you just yeah. have to bring your wardrobe, have yeah. at least two to three options, and when it gets quiet, you switch it up. Okay. When we <laughs> were with Barrett, all I had, all I did there was uh, I'd just say, hey, we need to see this, and it would happen. <laughs> the only thing that didn't happen on that trip that I asked for was cubs standing on the or crawling up on the back of a sow but i thought we were going to see it one day it almost happened and then the cub backed off but anyway yeah the cub you know in all fairness in all fairness ron did call it too he didn't just like change his coat and we had the experience he said it's getting kind of slow i think i'm going to change my coat we need some luck and I'm not joking. Every time it happened, it became a thing. Like we started like telling him, Ron, you need to change your coat. <laughs> so is this a Ron thing or is this a coat thing? So we're going to need our listeners to test this in the field. You know, switch coats and let us know if that's it. Or if this is just yeah. Ron and his charisma and his coats, that could be. I, you know, I, are we selling wild and exposed coats yet, guys? <laughs> just, <Not> yet. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah hoodies yeah yeah well it's always good fun when you're when you're in the field with a group you got to keep it light because there is going to be a lot of downtime so and i was kind of debbie downer for half of the half of the trip anyway so <laughs> it was it was fun to have some things we could look back and laugh at for sure <laughs> so always yeah that's that's the fun of sharing the trip with other people yeah that's why you don't invite me anymore. Oh, you were invited. Well, you just you would have been invited if you could sneak across the border. You <laughs> can cross the border. I just the isolation when I come back. That's still the oh, case. Yeah. It's it's a weird situation. You can hop on a plane and go anywhere, but when you come back, that's still that iso that uh, two fourteen days. But I don't even know if it's that long now, to be honest. But Hopefully things will open up. Speaking of Barrett, I mean, I think he's planning. I hope that opens up for this summer. I'm, it's tight. I don't know as far as Lake Clark and those kinds of trips. Yeah. But we're all anxious to get out for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. To travel. And there's, I mean, we can all know, do stuff in our own area, which is good fortune for you guys. There's the people yeah. like Barrett, Shane McGuire, and, and other photographers mm -hmm. who count on that. You know, Lisa Langell that Nieberge. we had, Ron Nieberge, mm -hmm. count on those trips to pay the bills during the year and it's tough they put these demands on everyone and it's tough um to not be able to host those trips because it is a big part of their income so i'm i'm hopeful that 
mm-hmm. now that some things have changed maybe we can we can get back out in the field and those people can uh, get back to their regular schedule well hopefully by sometime this summer that'll start to relax and i mean we were going to offer a caribou one this year it's so close but i just yes you know, it's risky. hard to know because when you yeah. do those trips you know most people don't know just how much like we looked at uh, doing a trip to Svalbard mm. and to be able to book the boat, you got to make a down payment of almost $13,000 and then regular payments of $13,000 until the, the boat's paid for. So you, you know, there's a <laughs> lot that goes into this and that's just one aspect of it. There's other how many, ones. how many regular payments of 13,000? <laughs> yeah, my head's spinning here. I'm like those, those, but that's for the whole boat. That's right? for the whole boat, for, yeah. Yeah, and then so and a it's bunch not of like the trip's not, not costing yeah. me that much, right. but that's what I would have to put down to be able. to I'll come with you if you it. pay for that, like that. Well, I'm Actually, sure you yeah. would. Sign me up. Yeah. So uh, most people don't realize what goes into all that, and when when people have planned that, and then have to cancel, then the venues don't really care why the cancellation took place. That is their income. They take yeah. those as a security deposit to be able to save it, and so it was a it was a big loss for folks this last year. Well, and with COVID, right? There's a lot of folks, airlines, hotels, a lot of places were making exceptions early on, mm-hmm. but it didn't take long for folks to basically those those exceptions went away. And if you, you know, had to cancel your flight or you had to cancel your booking after whatever rules were in place, they were they were not you know it was your loss. So, I mean, that, that obviously keeps all of us from committing too much to some of these longer-term things, be- and, and which makes it hard to book these longer-term things because you have to book them in advance to get what you need. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah hopefully they'll open the borders up here soon and you know, we can get back to some normalcy, yeah, if things some traveling. to improve, hopefully by this summer. Yeah. There will be enough going on, and this fall will be somewhat of a return. To normal fingers crossed yep. yeah but so, let's do some, go ahead, so real Jason, quick sorry so well no you're good i just i just to kind of finish off that trip i actually stayed one more day oh yeah that's right and you still haven't and, told uh, me about it so i'm anxious to hear um yeah it was kind of slow <laughs> so there you go for the four days that we that i spent in the park that last day I, we still did get some images but um, nothing crazy and nothing more, you know, exciting than we had already experienced for sure. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, uh, there was some, it wasn't and I, yeah, I'll just, I'll just say this. It wasn't me, but there was, there may have been some tickets involved for some folks and there may have been some things like that, that, you know, occurred because of some pretty gung ho, uh, <laughs> situations, but I won't go into details just because it's not, it wasn't personal. him, but it may have been somebody who was trying to keep up with him. Um, well, no, it wasn't a speeding ticket. It was just a oh, different yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, Anyways. that's not good. I got a speeding yeah. ticket. Oh, did you? On that trip? You get speeding tickets all the time. Weren't you, you know a cop? I did. Yeah, I was going to say, I how don't... does an ex-cop get speeding tickets? Don't no, he still have some kind, of, some kind of badge? Me. He was trying to keep up with me, apparently. and I drive fast. <laughs> apparently, I blew right through the... <laughs> Where the there was a was. change in speed. I was just watching the white Subaru ahead of me, not paying attention to the sign. 
and I uh, ended up, I was still going under the speed limit for the 65 mile per hour zone, but for the 45 that we apparently went through, I was exceeding. <laughs> and Jason was ahead of you, and they nabbed yeah. you. Yes. Well, he doesn't believe that I slowed down, but obviously I did because the yeah. cops did not <laughs> right. pull me over. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it was fun. We had a good time. So four days and you know, that was one of those crazy days where I actually, you know, cause we were staying in West. So we had to get up at early, 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 get all of our stuff out of the condo, get out of there, head North. Um, so we left at like three 30 in the morning, spent the whole day in the park, um, left the park at dark. And I think I got home about two 30 AM on Monday. So that was almost 24 hours of being awake. And after the weekend that we'd had prior, Let's just say I was pushing it and, you know, burning the candle at both ends a little too much to the point where, and this, just, you know, another little pro tip, I guess we'll use this as maybe as a pro tip, but just for, (laughs) I I do this all the time. We talk about it. I I get a little bit crazy. I'll just drive all night and do that. And and I'm getting older. (laughs) Um, I I don't even know if we've talked about on here, but I am a grandpa now. And, uh, the, uh, the risk you put yourself at doing those things sometimes may not be worth it. Um, I didn't have anything happen, but I got real tired and I did pull over in a rest area and take about a 20, 30 minute power nap about 20 minutes from home. That's how bad it was. I was, I was feeling so drained, but I guess the, the point or, or the point there is if you are feeling tired and you're doing that kind of thing, just pull over, you yeah. know, it's not worth risking it. And that, and that drowsy driving stuff is super dangerous. And, I was getting to the point where I was going to start nodding off if I didn't. And that little power nap was enough to get me the last 20 minutes home without any issues. But yeah. With the things we do to chase this passion, right? Exactly. (laughs) People, people drive a lot for all kinds of reasons, but yeah, this, we travel a lot and drive. It's very good advice. Just, I mean, again, this is all about amazing photography, but it's still (laughs) photography. Right. Just be, yep. We want to be there for other days in the field and no stress, no need to push things to that kind of. So, yeah. My plan yeah. was to stay with Jason I... for that extra day because we wouldn't, if we'd have followed our schedule, we would not have taken that third day and gone north. We would have been back on the snow coach. And so when we were able to get north, had a good day. I decided to just call it. Slept in the next morning when these these guys took off and headed back north. You probably slept in, had a nice warm breakfast, had a nice easy leisurely drive home. Hung out with Terry, make sure he was okay from the fall. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. No, we had a good visit and then yeah, headed out and actually there was a snowmobile well, an avalanche and um when I got to the top of the mountain coming back home between Jackson and Dubois, so Togety Pass, uh, we got shut down in the middle in the middle of the mountain and I didn't see it initially, but then when they fired it back up again, they had a, a helicopter rescue helicopter up there to fly someone out. Mm-hmm. So that was yeah. uh, that was interesting. Got a little video of this- that too. I think this last storm may be ripe for some good avalanches too, I'd imagine. Oh, I bet. Yeah, as much <laughs> snow as came down, for sure. Mm-hmm. Be careful yeah. in the backcountry. Yeah, for sure. 
So, Mark, you haven't gotten to say much, so let's let you kick <laughs> you know, off the pro tip. There has been one or two podcasts where I felt like I might have said too much at times. So this is okay. <laughs> this is okay. I enjoy hearing about your adventure. Wish I was along. I love the camaraderie, the fun, the pranks, the laughs. You know, it's one. I, we I live for these trips in so many ways, but you guys are so bang on, and that it's such a fun social time. It's hard to shut it down at the end of the day. And spring trips, when the days are long, like yeah. we've done bears, you're filming so much, and then you get together and you socialize because we, you know, no matter who it is out there, you're with your good friends. It's an opportunity to catch up and tell stories, and then the nights are cut short, and you almost, you know, we have a ten day trip. It's nice to have two days in there of just pouring rain or blizzard or something where you've you got to take it easy otherwise you, you know there's that pressure to go 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 but you know I'm, it's fun to hear and and anybody listening if you haven't looked at those pine martin pictures with the red squirrel you've got to check it out there they are potentially once in a lifetime great i mean just caption those and red squirrels great. anybody who spends great gray squirrel yeah. yeah, I think oh, so. It looked like a red squirrel to me. I was going to say red squirrels act like they own the woods if you spend any time in there. I mean, this guy is maybe sure did. The, yeah, whole, the whole time we're watching this, I don't know if anybody's ever, I can't even remember the name of the movie yet. There was the one where the deer got his antler broke off. He was half doe, half buck. He was a duck, is what they I, called him. But I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, off season or something like off that. Off season, oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. And uh, there was these the group Candy of squirrels that back? had a... No, it wasn't. Oh, no, that was the Great Outdoors. This one's animated. But there was a group of squirrels, and they had Scottish accents, and they would just... Every time he'd go under this one specific tree, this group of squirrels would curse him out, and then they'd throw pine cones down at him. <laughs> that's what this squirrel reminded me of, because it was like every time the Martin would fall off, he'd chatter. Like, come on. Then, he would he'd chatter and almost like look at him like what are you doing him. come on let's go but let's he go. never would. if you look at our images that squirrel never went off the smooth part of the tree because he knew the the martin if he got up to the limbs was going to run him down because they can jump a lot a lot further so he stayed on the smooth part of the tree and all the squirrel did was just go back and forth around the tree because the Martin kept falling, slipping and falling off. He wasn't as agile on the tree or didn't have the the claw dexterity on that part of the tree. So the squirrel just owned him. Again. (laughs) Ties into our closing song. That was your photo, Ron, that we put on the Wild and Exposed feed this week then, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was. Yes. Oh. Yeah, Yeah, because Jason hasn't. Yeah. With the Martin kind of peeking around. I need to send you some. I know. I know. It's all all good. Well, what an experience. So should we jump into some pro tips or yeah, I have a sure. pro tip that's a question that I, but it's, it's so different than the storytelling. This has been fun to hear. And, and the situation, the snow was so pristine on your trip too, right? It, it looked like it, it from was, the images yeah. and the videos and so pristine that you just even couldn't tell how deep it was at times. And then you got, you know, sure could we you. have a video <laughs> with Ron up to his waist he looks uh, back. Uh, uh, well, Ron was only up to his waist because he got stuck. Why he was on up? a he was on a snow saddle, kicking his feet. He couldn't touch the ground. My feet were not <laughs> touching the ground. Yeah. So Jason has sent uh, this. When this podcast airs, I'll put it up on the Instagram story, and 
go watch it because it's funny because Ron looks all serious. He's taking pictures. He's got a very impressive lens. And then he turns and looks toward Jason filming and says that his feet are not on the ground. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> nice setting, though. And then yeah. Jason pans off for yeah. the scene. And then there's a whole river valley and there's a coyotes. You could see the silhouette way out on the snow. And Ron's, yeah. Ron so was it stuck. wasn't the only time Ron got stuck in the deep snow. <laughs> No, the one, and I, it was the first day, and he got stuck, it and was, it wasn't a good situation to get stuck in because there was I got a big my bison image. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I went so just to kind of set the scene a little bit, so people just don't think I'm nuts, which maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But this bison was coming up the road, and number one, I didn't want the road to be in the image, so I wanted to get a little foreground. So there was, you know, obviously the snow on the edge of the road. I knew that was going to be blurred out if I shot wide open. So I dove over in the snow off the like side of the road. Like a somersault? Like a ninja roll? No, it was definitely oh. not a ninja roll. It was more like oh. a turtle that got stuck on his back kind of roll. It was more like a pizza roll. <laughs> <laughs> so I jumped off and just I laid low on my back and basically had a little recliner in the snow so I could shoot and get that little foreground element that I wanted plus the way the road turned the road didn't have any trees so everything was open where the bison was and the way the road turned he was going to be coming straight at that spot and so that's what I was thinking and why I jumped over there in the side so there was a reason for it but then as the bison gets closer I'm I'm like getting the shots that I've always dreamed of right frosty muzzled bison coming right at me this is the shot it's on our instagram feed it's yeah it is. it is yeah yep um but as he starts getting closer and the snow coach driver is like we need to move off i'm like well yeah that's great but i can't move <laughs> so i kind of scrambled and quite honestly i probably should have just laid flat and just let him go on by um, because I probably potentially created more of an issue trying to get out of there, you know, flopping around, trying to turn over and get to my feet than I would have had I just laid there and everybody else had moved back. But the one thing that I was thinking is I didn't want to be in everybody's shot from, for the whole time either, but I probably should have just laid still and let him go on by, but he was close. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, I could have laid there. there. I don't know if I could have laid there when the well, big old bull like that he, walked by he me. He would have been about five feet. Yeah. If if he'd have come by me, but and I didn't. I didn't feel great about that. So, <laughs> but it it turned out okay, and I got out ahead of him. And, ahead of him, so. well, well within the legal distance, and yeah. Honestly, sure. I mean, it was it wasn't an issue. Yeah, I mean, I could not have reached back and petted him or anything like that. I was out. No, you were out clean ahead of him, and and everybody else was back, you know, moving back toward the van and and getting ready yeah. to set up a shot. So, <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> and then, yeah, the other one, the snow saddle thing, though. I thought. I'm going to get a little bit closer to 
eye level with this coyote as he's coming up. And it was way ahead of him, probably 200 yards ahead of him. And for whatever reason, when I stepped off and sunk, I probably reacted. I don't remember reacting, but I probably did. And uh, he kind of turned and veered back away toward the trees on the other side. And then he ended up going back toward the larger group. But that one, I have no idea how deep the snow was. I do know how steep that ridge is where I stepped off. So it could have been a long slide down to the bottom. <laughs> and yeah, it was steep right there. Probably a half hour, 45 minute climb back up if <laughs> in that much snow if I'd have gone all the way down. Well, if you'd have gone all the way down, you probably would have ended up in the in the river in too. The river. So Yeah, it would, have, it would have been a swim for sure. Yeah. But, <laughs> That'll uh, that'll be on our Instagram story the day this comes out. <laughs> it's a good and little clip. To it's Jason's credit, he did Beautiful. eventually help me get out of there. Of course. Why would I? Yeah. After, after he got the footage and laughed a little bit. Just a tow rope onto the snow coach, put it in drive. Hang on, Ron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, was a, there was one spot, actually, that turned us into landscape photographers this kind of lone tree out by itself and that's it's a very it's a very popular landscape shot you've you've seen the most shot tree in the lower 48 maybe in the winter time it's a neat shot it really is is a neat shot now you got me wondering put it in the show notes at least yeah for sure yeah yeah you got me wondering which images you got that paid for your trip that's awesome uh bison for sure. The bison. Yeah. Yeah. That's way cool. And I'm getting, I was just, I just called Mark. Was that yesterday? Yes. Cause I want to do it as a, as a triplet with the bison in the middle panel, larger, and then the smaller with the, with the trees on the side panels. And I'm going to, I'm going to sell those as well. There's Very just cool. canvases, three it vertical canvases. lends itself to that. Yeah. That vertical canvas triplet kind of image so awesome did you find a place to have that printed i called art beat studios who we've who we had on the show before um i called art beat and and darren uh kind of talked me through what needs to happen to to get that done okay this is interesting so in this case i've done this before but not through a commercial it was years ago and i had it done locally and I was able to be on site to kind of show them what I wanted. What happened was a, a person that wanted these three canvases sent me a picture from a site that did these. But it was some mm-hmm. site overseas. It was really weird. And so I did some research and found a local shop to do it so I could go in and say this is how I wanted it. In this case with Darren at Artbeat Studios. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, go back as far as printmaking. Yeah, it's it's really informative. Episode. Yeah, great guys. And so what did he advise you? Do you are you making three separate files Basically, for Basically I am I am just going to make three separate files for them and you know okay. size them the way I want them and then uh, they will Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, you got total there. control that way. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Good to know. That's another pro tip from Ron before we even start the pro tips. Yeah. Yeah, he's full of them tonight. <laughs> I think that's only one, isn't it? No, you had a, you had one before that. Oh, change the coat. tree. The, yeah. Well, the, no, the change oh, of coat. The depth of field on the that's tree. That's right. Focus on the tree. 
increase your depth of field. So, all right, Mark, you're up. <laughs> I've got a couple, a couple of things. Um, oh, guys. All right. I have a question, but this is something cool. That's, that's different. And this is not necessarily a pro tip. This is something I discovered on, on picking up some new gear for this spring for wilderness trips that works for anybody who does anything wildlife nature photography where they could end up somewhere at night as far as headlamps. And I may be way behind on this technology, but I was in this big out, outdoor store and picking up some gear and headlamp there. Uh, I'm sure three quarters of the audience is going to laugh when I say this, but you can charge it on a USB. You don't need batteries and the price is good. And so the point of that is you don't have to buy the batteries and it's, you know, it's a typical little headlamp. They have all different strengths of them, but then you've got your battery bank that you take on trips that, you know, force, I do it primarily for the action cameras or my iPhone so I can make sure I've got enough charge in the field that I can keep filming for YouTube, for B-roll, for just trip stuff. And so this would charge the headlamp and this one battery bank i've talked about this many podcasts ago it's solar as well assuming you have sun so it will recharge yourself in the field if you're camping for many days it's got a light on it too anyway that was a cool little discovery side note not really a full-on pro tip just the fact that you can get headlamps that are usb charged and you don't have to buy AAA batteries to run them so i was excited about that and uh i'll jump in i've got three little things what was i've got there's a question that came in, as many do on our Instagram, a, a direct message. So thank you for everybody who sends these in. I'm going to spin this into a bit of a pro tip as far as just telling the experience of my story. And, and the guys can throw in, obviously, whatever they like as well. This was from Paul Styles on Instagram. And so his... Uh, Instagram page can be found with just Paul Styles. It's spelled S-T-I-L-E-S. Paul wrote in to the Wild and Exposed Instagram message saying, Hello, I have a question for everyone. How many of you have made a book of your own work? I think Mark said he made a moose book. Or yes. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's me. That's not his question. But for those who have made a book of your own photos, could you talk about the process and logistics? Did it cost a lot? Did you make any money on it? And or do you feel like you made an influential impact at all? Do you feel like it gave you much, if any, professional photographer, quote, street cred? So that's, there's a little bit more there, but that's enough to develop a bit of a question. To answer the last part, definitely a big part of doing a book if it's one that's sold to the public, is street cred. There's very few things historically that are as good a promotional piece of work. And honestly, the general public, and I'm not necessarily talking about photographers. I mean, photographers will always appreciate good quality imagery. I love seeing books from other talented photographers all over the place uh, and collect them. So there's that. But the general public, if you've done a book, historically, it's a big deal. And so it does always create, as we say, street cred that way, as Paul mentioned. And that is one of the nowadays, one of the best aspects of doing a book is that promotional piece. Now, just I'll try to go through this fairly quickly. 
because it could be more in depth. But there's two ways to do a book. There's self-publishing it and there's going through a publisher. And then there's, of course, the print and digital. But print is what we're going to focus on on here. Now, self-publishing is something that we've talked about. Jason got into that um, many podcasts ago and that we, you know, there's so many places you can print your own book. It may just be one copy, maybe five copies, maybe you do 20 copies. You know, it all depends on on the page count and your budget and what company you upload and you lay it out yourself. The software, for the most part, is very user-friendly. And that kind of book is something that is great for family, for friends. If it, it's, Maybe it's about a trip. Maybe you go on a trip with some friends and you make a book as keepsakes. Maybe it's for yourself to remember. I know one photographer on Instagram brought up that, uh, and I, if it's one of you guys, I'm sorry, I, I'm trying to remember who it was, but they do it based on that year's work. They've done a book. It was you, Jason? Mm-hmm. Right on. So, like, it does a book for 2020, 2019, 20, just to show the highlights and, and what he's, and it kind of is a great, great way to reflect on, on your photography over time, too, right? So that's something all on its own, and that's something where you do a few books. Now, you can also create a book yourself, have a PDF made, or make it yourself if you work the software. It's not hard to find somebody who can make a PDF of a book with you rather inexpensively and then send that to a company that can print higher volumes of book. And and there are more and more people do this uh, nowadays, and there's a greater profit margin if they sell when you do your own book. The trouble, well, not the trouble, the challenge is you have to sell them. You have to distribute them yourself and get them out there. And that can be done now through social media. Uh, there was one fellow uh, who did a great book in Quebec that I saw on, and he sold out in no time, I believe, from what he said. And people who do those kind of books, I don't, maybe they print a hundred or two, they're numbered, they're signed. They're priced accordingly. You know, you're not going to spend $20 or $30 on that book. It'd be more, but it's a a more elaborate piece of work. Uh, So for those that have significant social media followings, that's a channel that if one took the risk of paying to publish their own book through these printing companies, which there are many, then that's one avenue to do it. My, my books that I've done, and I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm. I mean, I. I seriously am considering doing that in the near future myself. But historically, I've gone through publishers and and still do, and and definitely enjoy those relationships. But it's a different situation where you are coordinating with a publishing house. First of all, there's there's sending in the proposals. It's a matter of educating oneself to what publishing houses print the kind of books that you're imagining or that matches your um, aspirations of what your book you want your book to look like finding them and then um, sending them a very detailed email just a knock on the door about what you want to do historically it was i'd send i'd send a proposal out in my first whitetail book i did in uh, i think it, yeah in 19 yeah i'm not going to say that a while ago <laughs> And it wasn't going to be uh, one of those 1971 snow machine comments, right? Oh, no, not that long ago. <laughs> I think it was ni- my first whitetail book was in 1998. And I believe I sent that book proposal to five, four or five publishers before one said yes. 
and the first four were, you know, nice letters back. It's not what, what they're doing and or the direction they're going or for whatever reason, didn't want a single species book or whatever the answer might have been. But then that fifth one, they were like, oh, yeah, let's do this. So there's always that rejection part. It's a matter of finding those publishing houses. Then there's the contract and negotiation of what they envision the book will look like and what the photographer and author envisions the book will look like and whether that can be brought together. When a publisher prints a book, they pay for it. So they have influence on on those variables. They distribute it and the artist, creator, the photographer, author gets a royalty. And often there's an advance against royalty. It's not an advance just a pocket. It's against royalties of future books sold. And then there's a percentage royalty rate, which varies considerably. So does the advance vary considerably to this day. There are significant advances, and then there are those that aren't as big in advance. But then one hopes the book sells really well. And at the end, it doesn't matter. If it sells out, at, let's say, the first printing, the amount of the advance is negligible in the sense that it's the same dollar amount when the printing sells out, if it sells out. But there's less money to be made for the photographer or author through a publisher unless they have a great distribution network and can sell tens of thousands of copies or more. So there's that as well. There are all these different variables to consider. So it takes a lot of the stress off in the sense working with a publisher because they have all that that printing uh, connections and distribution. But as far as what the book's priced at, as far as what the royalty rates are, those all have to be negotiated. And what the book looks like, the size of the book, is it going to be a trade paperback? Is it a hardcover? These variables. For the most part, the books that I've done, I mean, sorry, in all cases, the books I've done have been great experiences. The designers have been wonderful to work with and uh, very efficient and, and fun in the sense that I've been able to select my own images and lay them out and, and crop and make suggestions that that appeal to me that way. So those just in a, so to answer Paul's questions, there's, there's more than one way to approach this. And it depends on on how deep one's pocketbooks are. Does somebody want to spend two thousand dollars or more, five thousand dollars making a whole bunch of books to sell on their own? Or, you know, is it a keepsake that you just do 10 for your family? And it's, you know, it's a fun experiment to do it that way, too. I've done books uh, on trips where I've taken a friend or two on a wildlife trip and I've just summarized the trip in a book. And I think it was 50 or $60 for each book. I printed three of them, and, and they're still keepsakes that every couple of months I'll sit down in my office taking a break and we'll flip through to remember. So that's a fun step to do if you haven't done it. Get, get your feet wet a little bit with laying out a book and, and that idea, telling a story through images in a book. All that is relevant, especially when it, you propose it to a publisher. I mean, you have to have an outline, table of contents, a page count, a word count of what you imagine it to be. Is it mostly a photo book with captions or is there text to describe all this? Those are all variables. But as in anything in business, it's just a matter of being smart about approaching people who do or companies that do a product like you're imagining and and start with that and that with a proposal if you're going that route with a publisher versus self-publishing 
and again, it depends on one's ability to market their own work. If you have those channels and, and have the funds to support your own book, I know of, without naming names, I know of people that have done exceptionally well. It's not common, uh, but done exceptionally well on their own books. And I think in a, in a situation like that, if one self-published, it would be a matter of also looking for awards programs out there to enter one's book in that could get some acclamations or, or recognition to it that can be help promote it over time as well and publicity that way too. Anyway, quick summary. Yeah. And my- when I read Paul's question, my first question back was, you know, or the first thing that I thought of was, you know, it depends greatly on what you intend to do with it. Like you say, you, you know, Jason, not to steal his thunder but jason talks about doing his best work at the end of every year and that's i'm currently going through looking at my you know top trying to narrow it down to top 10 but or top 12 but i've got it narrowed down to probably top 50 images from last year and then you know do something with that so that those are you know you've you've kept those cataloged and you've kind of got them in a in a location that people can view them readily so that's one type of book and that's probably not going to get you a lot of street cred because the people that are going to see it are your friends and family you know unless you put it as a you know create a coffee table book put it out at a at a coffee shop or a a breakfast restaurant somewhere people can get their hands on it and view your images Uh, that might lead to some sales for you um but what Mark's talking about, that a book project, the reason that not a lot of people are successful is it is a huge endeavor. And I think when you dip your toe in it, you better plan on, you know, I've never done it, but I think a, a minimum of a year once you start the project and probably, you know, maybe longer, depending on how ready you are, you might get to, you know, we, we had uh, Steve Mathis on the show. And he talked about how he'd work for seven years to gather all these great gray owl images, but he was waiting to do the book until he had the one that completed the story. And he'd, you know, go back, listen to it. He tells about, you know, the story of getting an image of great grays mating and why he waited for that to complete his book. And then he got it, books out. So it can be a, a very long project, especially if you run into something like that. But I, I think it depends greatly on what you have to ask yourself first is what you're intending to do with it. You know, like I said, if it's a coffee table type book and you're just going to get it out to some stores, coffee shops, by all means, get after it and the images will suffice. But if you're going to write, there's a lot of research that takes place. There's a lot of time and and rewrites um getting it to an editor somebody that you trust that can go through it and kind of help you with some ideas all those kind of things and and i've just looked at writing kids books that's not even you know the scientific like type books that like mark has written on the whitetail and the moose with all the biological data so it's a it's a big endeavor and it's a highlight it's it it's highlighting for, for market potential, a body of work. And as you point out, you know, the Moose book has a collection of images that were 20 years in the making. 
you know, a lot of them might be in the, in the five or six years prior to publishing, but the behavioral um, content, you just don't get that every day. So right. some of those were, you know, 15, 20 years old. There are slide scans in that book because I just couldn't repeat the quality of those experiences at will. Mm. So, I mean, they're very, maybe 10 in the book, but it's, I mean, they're fine. It, it's, but when it comes to making a proposal, if one's approaching publishers, the book has to be almost done. Typically, they're one to two years out on planning their their launch for each spring-fall line. So there's a bit of time. And with the moose book, I, I traveled a bit to get highlight some of the subspecies. I went to Manitoba. I hadn't done moose there. It was fun to do that and ex explore a new area and a new subspecies for that. But um, So there is some time, but you want to have the vast majority of it ready at time of proposal because if they want to move it up that's exciting you want to be able to step it up and go with it the sooner the better so but there's i think there is a strong trend to self-publishing again whether it's a three or ten or twenty copies for personal gifts just to, to show and to uh, highlight a collection of one's photography or whether it's a decision to print hundreds and and market through social media or on foot knocking at different booksellers, um, all, there are all kinds of venues you could sell a book at. And it's just a matter of, of doing that legwork too. And recognizing an audience. If, if monetary gain is important for the book, it has to appeal to a big audience. So, and anyway, there's, there's a lot of detail to it, but it's fun stuff to think about. And if you have a body of work, I like what Jason does. I think that's great for the, for the cost of it. I mean, otherwise, I mean, we look at our devices, we're always posting on social media, so we're scrolling through whatever photos we have in our albums, but it's different than than highlighting something like that, doing it by year, for instance. Yeah. Cool question. Thanks, Paul, for sending that in. Jason, how about you? Um, yeah, maybe I'll just expand a little bit on what you guys said. But, yeah, the way I do it is just really, again, I think one of the benefits is, just seeing it in print, it really does make a difference. You know, when you look at your images on the computer, they look, they especially on a 27-inch monitor, they look pretty awesome. And when you see them on Instagram, they look okay. But when you see it in print, it just gives you a completely different feel. Um, you know, I've tried to do more of that, just getting in, some of my favorite images printed and hung in my house for some period of time and then maybe offer them up for sale after a while, after I rotate them or something for cheap to somebody or whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I really think less and less people are printing images and less and less people are hanging images in their homes and things like that. Right. So it's, um, as to enjoy my own work, I think it's worth doing that. Um, and you know, it's, it does make a great gift. I mean, my mom tells me every year that she'd, she'd be happy to have for her Christmas present, one of my books every year. So, you know, that's, that's moms, you know, right. But, <laughs> um, but I will say too, that I think as photographers, we all kind of, I think you end up going there at some point, just thinking about the fact that you do, you are creating a body of work and through those experiences you have in that, I mean, the, just to be honest, one of the things that's crossed my mind is, and I'm not, I don't know if I'm disciplined enough yet, but I really want to start taking good field notes and taking, making a diary of my adventures while I'm out photographing to maybe at some point someday create, you know, write a book about 
just, you know, adventure, you know, being out there and the adventures I've had. And I don't know if anybody will want to read it or not. And I don't really care. At some point, it's just a passion project, right? So, but it has crossed my mind. And I think it crosses a lot of our minds. But I don't know that I have the gumption to do it for a, for a monetary gain, so to speak, or, uh, you know, like, you know, Mark has done well with his, I have a copy of his book and I, you know, a signed copy, I might add. Well, thank you for ordering that. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really cool. Actually. I I love it. You know, it's, it's an amazing, he did a really good job. We haven't met in person yet is, is crazy, man. Yeah. It's, I know, I know it's insane. He avoids me all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, you're not invited to Yellowstone, yeah, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah. So you know, I I don't know his his question. Does it give you notoriety? Was that kind of is the key of his question? Well, street credit, street credit, yeah, street Whether cred. It's sorry, with other photographers, but it, it opens. You know, uh, I send mine to my clients and stuff, and it's it's to have a body of work. It it does help. It's yeah. just always that there's just that fundamental belief that if somebody somebody did a book then they know that subject sure it's sure. like psychology that people just subscribe to and especially if the book is well done and the images are good then it, it holds up to that it's a great sure. promotional piece i mean there are many ways to promote one's work but that's kind of a significant one in as far as there's a lot of effort put into it um, and i think that resonates with some but you know i wouldn't do it solely for that purpose that's a nice benefit to doing it. Understood. Well, I would say if you guys want to know if Mark knows anything about moose, you should go out and buy his book and you'll find out very quickly that he does. (laughs) Appreciate the pitch or come in the field with me and just hear me talk to them. Yeah. Yeah, There you go. (laughs) In places that that's permitted, which most places I go, we can have a conversation. (laughs) Are you going to give us a moose call right now? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Hey, <laughs> moose! <laughs> That's great. I love it. I love it. But, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah I got, I've got cool. some good stories. That's it. Yeah, that's an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, how about your pro tip? My pro tip, well, so I was going to I'm gonna pull a mic tonight since Mike's not here, and I'm going to talk about some gear. But the problem I'm having with this gear is I'm having a hard time finding out exactly what it's called. <laughs> it's, a, it's an item that Small Rig makes, and um, I think Mike sent me the promotion on it when they were pre-ordering these things. Um, but it, I don't know what to call it other than like it's a photographer videography like emergency kit if you will i don't know if we can see this back it up just a hair i think put it closer to your face they're back just a hair right there oh yeah cool all right go to youtube check this out people yeah so we'll we'll try to find the name of this thing but it's i can give you a model number and such but it's essentially a plate a metal plate that has a variety of different screws and the allen wrenches and uh screw wrenches that you would need to be able to um, fix and replace uh, different types of screws and that with your photography and videography equipment. So just another, you know, one of those nice to have in the field if something goes wrong or you lose a screw or something happens. And I've been there. So um, I don't think this was very expensive. I think it was like 25 bucks or something. And it's actually really heavy duty. It's 
you know, probably quarter inch thick aluminum, you know, plate. Um, I will say that the, just so everybody knows, the model number is an MD3184. Uh, so, so, yeah, that's that's my pro tip. Again, just something to, nice to have when you're in the field and things go wrong. Um, it's very inexpensive, and it's an easy way to organize those kinds of uh, screws. It fits nice in a bag because it's flat. And, and fix a easy. tripod, fix a mount, fix... Fix a, yep, any, any of the above. Yeah. Yep, yep. How much was it? I think it was like $25. It really wasn't that okay. expensive. So and not... the brand again? Just... It's Small Rig, small sorry, rig. yeah. Small Rig. Small yeah, Rig, okay. yep. Small rig, no. A lot of folks know small rig. They make a lot sure. of different products for. I just oh. bought a small rig cage for my R5 so that I can mount the external recorder on it, the Ninja Five. So I've got the external monitor, but it's also a, a recorder. I can put a two terabyte SSD on there and just get all the video I ever want to get. Don't have to worry about any overheating issues because the recording is going on on the monitor itself. Yeah. So that that was impressive they, too. You they, sent they a picture make some of that. Good tools. Yeah. That looked so. almost like from Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. <laughs> the, I thought see it was it on the camera. Mini though, ball yeah. heads on it and stuff. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I thought I was envisioning a little GoPro on on one of those heads or something filming yeah, you, you while you're photographing. Actually, those clamps is what Mike used to rig the GoPros when we did our uh, boat trip in Alaska a couple years ago. That's mm -hmm. what Mike used to rig the GoPros to the rail. So that we could film. I have pictures and footage from those. Yeah, I should probably exactly. You can throw some fun. of that on there. Yeah, that was fun. So, great mine, tip. Mine is is pretty simple, and it kind of goes back to what we just talked about. I kind of alluded to it already, and I think we talk about this a little bit every year. But go through your previous year's images before you get busy shooting. You know, as the spring kind of ramps up with all the breeding seasons and that kind of thing nesting seasons go through your images from the previous year save always save your top 10 top 12 top 20 if you can't narrow it down and then it gives you a starting point to look back the year before number one to see growth um, i think that's the biggest measuring stick that you can use you know your your grandma or your mom used to make a mark on the wall to, to show you how much you'd grown uh, since the last visit, that kind of thing. Looking at your previous year's images gives you an opportunity to look back and, and see how your images have grown, how you've grown artistically, technically, um, and or gives you an opportunity to identify what you want to change in the coming year. I... Every year I go back, look at the previous year's images, find out, you know, what I'd like to shoot, and I kind of try to plan my year around that. We've talked about that plenty. Um, but this year kind of turned into the year of the Shiras Moose for multiple reasons because, number one, we were stuck photographing closer to home um, so that, you know, work work policies didn't allow air travel, so and air travel was limited anyway. So I spent a lot of time shooting closer to home. That shot in southern Wyoming and western Wyoming, and then into you know southwest Montana as well, and Colorado, and uh, it just gave me a lot of opportunities to photograph a species that I didn't have a lot of in my portfolio, and that definitely changed this year. 
and got you know some respectable respectable animals and some different times a year that kind of thing so use it to identify where you want to spend your time and your efforts but also photographically how you'd like to change or or what you'd like to change in your shooting identify it first and then you know research get a hold of somebody that that whose work you might enjoy and just find out how they shoot and what they look for that kind of thing in the field that translates that research early on in the field translates to being able to kind of pick your shot it's kind of like that bison on the road I saw what I wanted that led me to where I needed to be and then eventually led me to the shot and it you know it doesn't always work out that way because sometimes they turn go a different direction but that time it certainly did and when it does it does <laughs> you can put those images on the wall for sure so that would be my pro tip for this week since we're kind of we're moving into the spring but it's not really ramped up quite yet so you still have time to do that you know it's funny the conversation today's podcast is almost like it's a new year the more know, we've been referring to that it's not it's not like january but i think you know we're hoping to feel some ease of pressure with covid hopefully letting up and then with spring coming everybody just wants out mm-hmm. and i just kind of feel that with with what we've been saying today it's cool yep all right, well, keep the questions coming in. We always appreciate hearing from you. And you can find more of our content at wildandexposed.com. The show notes for today's podcast also links through the Explore page to all kinds of cool podcasts there, various guests that we've had or other pro tip podcasts with just the Wild and Exposed crew. The store is also there, as we've talked about before. Michael Morrow worked so hard last fall, and there's a great variety of swag and stuff there there's coffee mugs there's hats there's t-shirts of various designs hoodies stickers you name it and one of the reasons i bring it up is that helps us when you order helps support our efforts by producing this podcast as well so for those of you that have much appreciated thank you for those of you that haven't check it out at wildandexposed.com at our shop, the store there. And we have each ordered products and the company that Mike set it up through, very highly reviewed, great quality content or materials and everything that I've received and the guys have received, we're very happy with as well. So, Mark, before you you kick it off full time, Jason has another announcement. Okay. From our sponsor, Precision Camera. Yeah, yeah, we just got some really good news. Um, Our awesome sponsor, Precision Camera, is offering to our Wild and Exposed listeners, if they log in to the website and schedule a virtual consultation, at the end of the consultation, they'll receive a coupon code for a free 16 by 24 fine art print, and that will also include free shipping. So if you haven't used that... No purchase necessary. If you haven't used that feature from Precision Camera, which is a unique feature that I've seen out there, um, go get you scheduled and get, you know, a virtual tour and a virtual consultation, sorry, and see, uh, see if you can't get yourself a 16 by 24 fine arm print. So thanks to the precision camera for offering that for offering that up to the listeners. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm doing that right now. You're going to have to wait. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go log on right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's awesome. No idea. Yeah, that's really cool. And so so I, I keep putting that up on our Instagram story. So for those of you that follow us on Wild and Exposed on Instagram, you'll frequently see the connection with Precision Camera. And that's we have an ongoing coupon code with them as well. $50 off of any $500 or more order through them. So if you are looking for equipment, and they do ship all across the country, the United States, I assume they do Canada as well, but then you have the duty stuff. But as far as anything in the United States, um, highly recommended and something to check out because you just get 50 bucks off by putting in the wild and exposed. You'll see that in our Instagram stories. I typically put it up once or twice a week. So our podcasts come out each Tuesday. You can find more of our work also on Facebook in addition to Instagram. And on Fridays, we target Fridays for our YouTube version of each podcast where you can watch us live and see the things that we talk about. Whenever you go there, please make sure to subscribe and that and give us a positive review, five-star rating or thumbs up. Those also help us to gain traction in the busy world of podcasting or the busy arena of YouTube. And make sure to hit that bell so that you're notified when we put up future content. It's free and we keep it flowing. So get on board. We appreciate it. Guys, it's been great to see you. It's been too long since we've sat down together. I look forward to doing this again in the near future. We've got some great guests coming up in future weeks. Stay tuned, people. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed Podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday Nothing's gonna get in our way